It's evolution, baby. You're listening to Live on Four Legs Evolution Series. In each episode, we'll look at the timeline of live performances to see how they've grown and changed throughout the years. In this episode, we take a look back at some of the best clips from our Evolution series thus far. So strap in and get ready to take a dive through history, because it's not just songs, it's Evolution, baby. Hello everyone, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and uh, today we're going to give you an episode that's a little bit different. It's uh, not going to be a show like we usually cover with the set list and, and all that. We are going to give you a little taste of what we've been doing over at Patreon. So what we're doing in this episode is we're going to give you little bits of clips uh, from our evolution series that we've been doing over at Patreon. And if you're a patron and you've been listening to, to this, you've probably heard uh, most of the clips from these uh, episodes before, but we will at the end of the episode have something new for you, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. So uh, if you are not over at Patreon, just a little example of what we do over there. We've been releasing evolution episodes for the last couple of months, usually about one a month, as well as a little... A little bit of extra episodes here and there when we find the time, when we have bonus stuff that uh, we cut from the regular episodes. So if you want to head over there, contribute to the show, help the show out. It helps the podcast keep afloat and uh, allows us to give you guys extra episodes. And not only that, but when tours come around, we're going to be doing some cool stuff uh, when the tours come. So uh, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and you will get all of what you hear today plus more, and you also get to come on the show to talk about one of your favorite Pearl Jam shows that you've ever been to. And coming on the show is not something that you'd like to do. We still get uh, either John or I, or John or Buckley, or I or Buckley, whoever it is, we get to cover your show that you pick. So it's still, it's a pretty it's a pretty big win-win situation here for everybody there. So head on over to Patreon, and we thank you for all the people that have been contributing last week was big. Last week was Patrons Week. We did a little uh, thank you patrons pledge and we were able to get a lot of new patrons so i just want to shout everybody out that has uh donated to our our patreon in the last couple weeks so uh a big thank you goes out to david james to emile mansur to greg mulk as well as Dan, who I don't have a last name of, but Dan, I'm sure you're listening and know who you are. So thank you, Dan, and thank you for everybody else. That Those are our brand new patrons, and you can expect them to either be on an episode or choose an episode that we're going to cover at some point in the near future. And again, if you want to be like Dan or like Emil or like one of the rest of uh, of the folks that we mentioned here, uh, just head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs. Okay, without further ado, let's get into what we're working on today. And like, like I mentioned before, there have been four evolution episodes thus far. 
And what we kind of do is we take the timeline and break down how the song has evolved and changed throughout the years. That's why it's called Evolution, baby. So the first one that we did, obviously, Yellow Ledbetter, that was a, a free for the public. And if you want to go and listen to that, that is available for everybody on the regular podcast platforms. But we also, at the same time, released uh, the Leash episode. And in this one is interesting because Leash actually had a very, uh, you you know, it was it was used very early on, way before verses, and kind of fit that vibe of that angry, angsty teen teen anthem. So what we kind of did when we were researching it, we realized that there was a huge gap in between times where they would be playing Leash a lot and wouldn't be playing Leash a lot. And, you know, obviously it went for years and years and years and hadn't been played. And we kind of then would go into how they would play it now. But the early versions are really what kind of set the mood and set the tone with this as being a very anthemic uh, song for the band so uh here's a little clip where we talk about some of the early versions and how it impact uh those rowdy crowds that were going to the shows very early on leash is the one song on stage that like can pull the crowd that can get the crowd chanting back that you know drop the leash drop the leash get out of my fucking face like how do you not follow they 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 you know they repeat that 50 times it's in, gospel. In the, end of the song so it's it definitely became something that you know it became like that special moment in those shows and they they did use it a lot as, as a closer back then too because it was something that would that everybody would react to you know it would it's it's an angry song it's it's a song that you know all the you know back in the early 90s the slam dancing and all that mm-hmm. stuff all all that stuff would would be at a peak at this point when you think of like shows at that time you know you're getting set list in 2000 in 1992 that are probably 11 10 songs long and leash leash is probably going into a porch or rocking in the free world it's really it's towards the end of the set and it's it's really one of the last fiery moments before really taking the crowd in a, another direction and it's and we talked about in yellow Ledbetter where it, it's it kind of became a a vehicle for mike to show off and to really for mm-hmm. him to take the spotlight this is totally an eddie song yes it's a song you know he would all often intro it you know drop the leash drop the leash you know really angry like give something i think they they even did some tags with it back in the day like you would get like maybe an outshined or a yep. sick of pussies something like that mm-hmm. and he yeah, use it as an intro and he would you know, you can see him stomping around the stage in a circle yelling at people you know drop the leash drop the leash get out of my fucking face like really pushing it and it became a song where he would just scream and go nuts it's yeah again it's it's popular amongst you know the fans that the the that kind of uh exemplified the angst of the band that exemplified uh you know what the country was going through at that time what the world was going through in the early 90s you know it's it's about to turn to the millennium who who is there to turn to who is there to you know look up to and um yeah i mean and you know they they were in their early 20s when they were when they were writing the stuff they're they hadn't yet become the biggest band in the world you know they're still figuring out their place it's it's definitely a song that for a certain time period and a certain age and you know a lot of time 
I think that's why it, it kind of didn't have the the staying power that a lot of other songs from that era did. So it, it was really a staple in 1992, played 52 times that year. And let's tell you how insane the touring schedule was, because 52 times in 1992 made up 39% of set lists. How oh, yeah, they absolutely were, they bad were, They were pushing that. it. Yeah, that, that's that's the record company saying you have to play all these places. You, you know, you gotta you gotta push those mm-hmm. push those records early. Yep, and they had to make a name for themselves. You got to take into account that there are a lot of set lists from ninety one and ninety two that are still unknown to this day. So right. the number that's out there, the one hundred and twenty nine uh, times that that leash has been played, it could be anywhere. You know, from one twenty nine to maybe like one forty. For all we know, uh, you know there there are about. 25 to 30 unknown set lists out there. I know Dave at least from yeah. Live Footsteps who are getting all this information stuff. He knows all the exact numbers, so we'll get that at some point. But um really versions in the early 90s where like that I turn to and think like that that angst and that just that raw emotion, raw power. Uh Zurich 92 and Pink Pop 92. they they stand up to you know all the other powerful leashes oh yeah you know any and 92 especially when you're when they were touring basically 12 months out of the year they're you're gonna get real you know the band's gonna be tight you know stone and mike are are definitely playing off each other you know they're they're locked in and especially that pink pop version of leash like you know you guys just did that show uh, Leash is incredible. Like it sounds so full. Like Eddie's going crazy. You know, it, it wasn't something like where poetry he'd be climbing up on the scaffolding or the rafters, but it was a lot of times something where he'd be jump out in the crowd or he would, you know, tear himself up or you know, something he would do something crazy. He'd smash a microphone or something like that. Right. right. Yeah. And you know, it's just it's it's an epitome of their their early early. You know, live, live shows where it's, you know, we don't get that angry Pearl Jam anymore, and sometimes you know you forget how vital and how angsty they were and how angry they were, and you know, going back and listening to those versions, it, it puts you right back in that in that mindset. 
All right, so the next episode that we covered after that, uh, we're going to give you a little clip of our live episode. And a lot, we, we covered a lot in this episode from just the growth of the song and how the song really became their first song and their first popular song and really being uh, a generational song, one that everybody can recognize whether uh, it's a longtime Pearl Jam fan, a new Pearl Jam fan, everybody really recognizes the song. So, so we, it, there's a lot of moving pieces that we break down in it. So we break down kind of that, you know, pink pop era and how it became the generational song during that era, but also how, and this is more of what we get into the, into the episode and a little bit what we get into the clip here, uh, but how the song sort of had a, a different meaning early on and uh we get into the storyteller's story where uh we talk about the curse and this clip in here not only do we talk about the pink pop version but we talk about the curse as well uh talking about sort of what the song's identity was very early on so check out all of that you know we can't mention 1992 without mentioning pink pop and um you know it's front of an audience of 60,000 in Europe, it's being televised, you know, throughout the years, it's been passed down. It's one of the most common bootlegs that you'll see. It's one of the most watched Pearl Jam videos on YouTube. Um, John, I'm going to see if you can remember it word by word, because you say that you can, but can you do the rain speech? So this was on the, the oceans CD EP. Um, and I listened to this thing a million times. Um, let me see. Uh, you survive today. No matter what band could come up here, it's it's you surviving the rain. It's you who's going to be sick tomorrow. It's you who we appreciate. Thank you. Oh, I mean, that was, that was my mantra for for about a year after that, that single came out. It feels like Ed is ha- has the crowd in the palm of his hands you know, preaching his gospel. Um, and th- that show is just memorable for so many reasons. But I think the most important thing is just knowing that this song is going from great song that's a current single to this song is going to be something that we'll be talking about in 20 years as being one of the best songs of this era. Oh, it became, and you know, I'm sure they would hate to admit this, but it became almost the anthem of a generation. Yes. You know, the song kind of took on it's one of those things where it's just one of those songs that comes around every every once in a while that that takes on a life of its own, right? People hear it and they instantly connect with it. <laughs> shows you know at pink pop with 50,000 people 60,000 people everyone singing along to it that's going to resonate with you you're going to remember that after of the course. show you know that's going to be the yeah. thing you take away like that's going that that's a special moment for people and be you know I, all of us together screaming i'm still alive right that that that's a powerful moment sure and you know again propels the band to superstardom uh and you do have a war, war pigs tag at the end here so they they do 
play around with it just a little bit uh, in certain times. I think they've done war bigs. I think they've done a couple of different things. And, uh, and that's and that's Mike too. You know, him realizing yeah. that the the chord structure is similar. Then it's in the, probably in the same key. So that's him going. Oh, I'm just going to throw this in there as a little nod to uh, to Black Sabbath and to the meaning behind that song. Sure. Uh, so the next handful of years, I mean, this is a there's barely a show that goes by without a live being in a set, and we're seeing it at a very consistent basis uh, being played near the end of set. So you know, at times we'd see it probably switched up a little bit, maybe played in the six or seven spot, but you know, it's really it's it's in that wheelhouse that we know of now, where it's kind of like the penultimate song to get you to the end of a show, maybe to get you to porch, maybe to get you to uh, indifference or yellow lead better. But uh, you know, this is around the time like 1995 release, you know, rings a bell here. And this is when Jack is in the band. So uh, red rocks, 95, the first night they play it. And right before the second verse, Eddie doesn't go into the chorus and he just kind of stops a little bit. recognizing that these lyrics are a part of a really traumatic moment in his life and he's playing it on a stage in front of thousands of people in a beautiful setting of red rocks like it's just you know and we'll kind of get into how the song is changing but at this time it's really starting to take on a different life like we were saying before well, i think that too if you think about where the band was in 1995 versus where they were in 1991 things have totally done a 180 they they're they're totally in a different spot then um they're you know we've got they've got a couple more albums under their belt they've got di- different songs they're expanding their sound jack's in the band now and you know the mama san is is you know it's it's a little there's a little bit of fiction thrown in there it's not completely 100 percent true so i think that a lot of that was him kind of realizing you know this song maybe when i sing it it doesn't have the same power behind it anymore because we've changed as people the band's changed their sound has changed it's him kind of going like maybe this is maybe this is one of those that that is the old Pearl Jam, not where the new Pearl Jam is going. You know, would Alive fit on no code? Probably not. No. Right? Um, so it's it's one of those that I think they, and there were a lot of songs that they got dropped in 1995. We've talked about that with, with Deep and Why Go and Glorified G and Leash, and there's a whole list of them that, that they just yeah. didn't, that didn't make that jump. And I think going back to it, the fans probably kept this song alive and kept it going for them during that time where it 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 stayed in through 96 and 98 and 2000 
So that was Alive, and this is another very early song that we covered here, State of Love and Trust. And a lot of people uh, over the years have said that you know State of Love and Trust is one of their favorite songs to hear live, but it doesn't have that same intensity that it once did on the live stage. So we get into that a lot in the episode, and this clip right here kind of talks about one of the most famous versions of State of Love and Trust, uh, which was discussed on the PJ20 documentary, The Birth of No, and then we also will uh, talk about Drop in the Park as well. Uh, So here are some really good versions of the very early State of Love and Trust, starting with Stone talking about when you finally had to say no. Because we had waited so long for anyone to ask us to do something, we were saying yes, yes, yes. That was a moment where it was really evident that there was always going to be one more thing they were going to want you to do. At some point, you had to say no. That was the birth of no. And this specific performance of State of Love and Trust (laughs) in Los Angeles... Uh, for the singles premiere party, Eddie's wearing some wacky Hawaiian shirt. Uh, just, you know, he is plastered out of his mind. They all are. Yeah, I mean. Because that's what Jeff says. He says there, we didn't usually drink that much before the show, but this night there was a bottle of tequila there, and <laughs> they all took part in the shenanigans that unfolded that night. Right, and you could, and, and this is this is the first song of that set. Uh, I mean, it's just and that and Baba, right? I believe, yeah, I th- I think so. Yeah, that's that's all I can think of. Yeah, I, they didn't do Breath. Uh, they played Rockin'. Okay, so it was State Baba Rockin'. Okay, State Baba. Okay, um, but I mean, like Eddie's coming out there. You know, the first thing everybody loves us. Loves us. Everybody, everybody loves, loves our town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I love when I love when Cameron Crowe asks him about that night in BJ Twenty, and he's like, we, "You know, we have some you don't uh, have footage of that. some footage, some footage of of that." I won't watch that. I won't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He might not remember I mean, it, but he knows. <laughs> he did a he did a mean crowd surf, and he was swinging the mic around like a lunatic. And then at the end, he's like on the ground, sort of like in this huddled position, screaming in the mic. Uh, they must have drank a lot of fucking tequila. To they get to really that. did. That's I have to say. That's probably there's a lot of shows in '93 and '94 where they seem pretty inebriated, but this one yeah. is particularly. It's evident. I mean, granted, they only played three songs, and they probably knew that. But I mean, talk about a place to do it. I mean, and Cameron Crowe really takes you through the whole thing in the documentary too. He's like, there's sure. executives there with their families, and they're wearing suits and. They start heading, running for the exits as soon as they come out there. <laughs> it's uh, crazy. Long lineage in the performance of State of Love and Trust, but you can't talk about this song being played live without this, you know, 
very memorable performance and other great versions of the song drop in the park mm-hmm. this to me is one of my personal favorites quintessential well. <laughs> uh, the quintessential way that you want the song to be played got this this rasp in his voice where he's just got so much vigor so much power that he's putting into it and the band just again they you know it it, this is the first of the versions that i feel like the groove is really gone and they're really trying to go for that um you know the faster version that we're more prone to hear today right but it's still very much in the same vein of the other versions of that time, if that makes yes. sense. Like there's a there's a feeling that it is a little bit more paced, up tempo, a little bit faster than it would have been in the earlier parts of Dave A or before Dave A, but it's like they're trending towards faster, if that makes sense. I don't know how to right. how else well, to and say it. At, it, a, it or, at a show at a show like this, this was such a a powerful show with right. so many things that are going on that, you know, they felt it from the crowd and they felt it. it the energy was in the air. So all the songs from that night felt in a manner like this, that they were playing, you know, a hundred percent going and taking the wheel and, and putting it in, uh, in fifth gear there. Right. So, um, I mean, one of a performance for the ages, uh, pretty much. One of the Evolution episodes that we released last week was a version of Corduroy, and uh, this was done. John and uh, Patrick Vogel did did this, and they did a really good job of uh, breaking down the song and just kind of the legacy of the song and how important it is in the Pearl Jam catalog. And uh, this clip really focuses on, very early on, how Bay's influence really didn't last too long and how it kind of developed over time into a song that you know, became the popular anthem kind of song that it is today. So these are very early versions of this song that really are not easy to find uh, when you're looking out there. So uh, take a listen to that. As much as you associate Vitalogy with Dave A and him playing on those songs, he only got to perform this song four times. Uh, they debuted it, like I said, St. Louis, March 15th, 1994. It did have some slightly different lyrics, like we mentioned.
was actually sound checked at the first Atlanta Fox Theater show for 294. Uh, how cool would that have been to have to have had that broken out on night two? Oh, that'd have been awesome. I mean, that was a little bit of, I changed uh, a little bit of like uh, audio history for me because, like I said, my first experience with that was the boot that I got from the Bridge Show. But the, obviously, the yeah. Fox Theater show is like, you know, it just like beyond historic in terms of where this band is and, and, and right, what that right. show meant. I mean, if they had done if they had done corduroy instead of whipping. In that first little set, it would have been completely epic. Oh wow! And yeah, to get—I mean, we got whip, whipping and Better Man and Satan's Bed, but Corduroy would have been next level on that one. Um, then they, like I said, they brought it back um, April seventh, nineteen ninety-four, and April eighth, nineteen ninety-four. With—I don't think they really knew how to end the song quite yet, because those songs have kind of a a different solo, kind of that little bridge outro part. They're not really sure how to do it. I think Mike is still kind of playing around with how to end it. said you you were you were familiar with those shows um do you remember hearing those versions uh absolutely um especially the four seven show um it was probably at least a year or more after the um the actual performance of the show um that i actually heard the audio tapes from that but um and i actually knew a couple of people that uh, i was in college with at the time that was they were actually at the show they had no idea what they had just seen in terms of that i mean they were fans but they you know they were like all they could say was they played a new one (laughs) and uh so then you know dave a is fired 1994 uh vitalogy is released in november you mentioned the the 1994 bridge school version with jack jack's playing the bongos and that was kind of a different kind of a different feel to it I remember it must have been Napster or one of those early file sharing systems programs where I remember seeing like corduroy acoustic and I was like, wait a minute, what is this? I remember downloading it and being like, holy shit, like this is the this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And it was that 1994 version. Um, now the lyrics still still tweaking a little bit. He's I don't know if it's it's just that he was still working them out or if he just couldn't remember. The bridge school is kind of its own little thing. Tell me about uh, what do you, what do you think about that acoustic version? Does does the song translate well enough acoustically, or does does it need the power of the whole the whole band? I I think you know it's a, it's a special version for sure. I mean, if you try to compare it to some of the stuff that they've done when they get full on electric as a band, it's it's a little bit hard to a b them. But I think in that environment, what they were doing. 
um, how they actually attack the end of it in terms of the, uh, the, yeah. the group jam that happens at that point in time. Because they didn't, at this point, when they were just early playing it and then, you know, going into 95 and 96, there wasn't as much of a Mike Flourish solo that would come later on. It was much more about, like, the entire band and all, you know, intermingling guitar and everybody had sort of a part into the uh, into the, the journey at the, the end. That's interesting. It almost could have gone another way and it could have become one of those, like, rearview mirror jam out the end songs, you know? I think it could have. There's some times where it, it you know, s- sort of was going that way. They started stretching it out to about five five and a half minutes a lot during 95 96 there's one version that really blows out in 1995 mm-hmm. once the change with jack happened that's when it went to a, a, a little bit of a different direction live all right so if you guys are patrons and you've heard all of this stuff before and you're just waiting till the end to get to something that i teased in the beginning that is something a little new this is brand new. We, uh, either next week or the week after, we're going to be releasing another Evolution episode that we just recorded. It is for Wash, and that was a really interesting one to, to break down because it's a B-side, and, you know, the band played it a lot very early on, but went stints for a long time without playing it, and when they did they kind of forgot the song and kind of forgot how to, uh, Eddie forgot the lyrics in some places, but here in this clip, we're going to give you one of the best and most popular versions of wash, which really isn't even the song. It's, uh, it's speed wash. And Hey, for all you people that aren't on Patreon, we actually did cover new year's Eve, uh, 1992, which uh, is in our archive. So if that's something that you guys want to listen to over there, that is available for you as well. But here is uh, John and I talking about Speedwash. The crowds are kind of changing from 91 to 92. 91, yeah, they're opening for bands like Alice in Chains, Screaming Trees, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So they can play around with some you know unique openers but now they're getting to the point where they're headlining smaller clubs by themselves you know headlining their own shows or other other Mm -hmm. bands opening for them and they have to sort of almost fit this identity of we're this band that has to come out of the gate screaming and you know do a, uh, a once or do an even flow to start the show and really get your your crowd engaged that has been sitting there the whole time through the openers yeah, and think about you know you get stuff in summer 92 like pink pop and things like that where you've got 50 60 thousand people at these european festivals sure they, they don't want to hear wash right no. they want to hear they want to hear why go they want to hear live and you know the the rocking song so yeah i think that's a that was probably a big part of it yeah it wasn't played once on the Lollapalooza tour uh it was dropped right before pink pop i believe pink pop was june 18th and it was dropped mm-hmm. on june 15th so this was really you know the, the, it's a testament to where they stood at the time um and we didn't see it from June 15th until uh, December 31st, 1992. Right. And, and we had just talked about 
you know, dropping it for some more aggressive songs. And, and what do we get on, on December 31st, 1992? We get the most aggressive version of Wash that there's ever been. <laughs> so fucking cool and it's a one-time one time on that on that episode i think that was a patreon episode too right people it was uh, cheap plug for that try to go back and uh check that one out if you haven't absolutely if you haven't heard it um yeah that might have been the first ever patreon episode yeah i think it was but yeah just Uh, i mean the drums come in and they you know they i wonder if you know how how long have they been working on it you know to not play it live for six months um and then to come back with something like that, it would have been, and, you know, and this is the one that a lot of people still talk about today. You know, in in my mind, I'm sort of thinking it could have gone one of two ways. It could have been like, hey, let's work on it for a little bit, let's perfect it. Or right before the show, they said, fuck it. What if we just went, you know, volume up to 11 on Wash? Right. Well, see, I, I got to think if they had to have rehearsed it. Um, I, I want to think they probably. And, it's you know, completely again, different me, chord you know, progression, again, and I wasn't there, so song, right. I got to think that they they like the song. They were looking for a way for it to fit in with their current set. How, how you know how can we make this work with, with with the way our band is now? You know they were they were a different band in '92 than they were in 1990, 1991. Sure. So, and that's I why they, I almost think that it was sort of improvis- improvisational because yeah, could have been at the time. They're not the same kind of musicians. They, I can see them going out there and saying, well, fuck it. Let's just try it. And if it's a disaster, then we move on to the next one and they love us anyway. Yeah, and it's and it's so interesting too. Like immediately after that, never again. Never again. O-T-O-T-O, as they like to say. One time, one time only. Um, favorite part in this version of Speedwash? Uh, the drums. The drums. Yeah. I think I think my favorite part is when Ed he's getting the what's clean is pure I'm white on the outside Just like 
embellishing every mm. single word in this, and then once it gets back into into the chorus, wash my, wash my, wash my love. It's everything here is just um, it's catering to a crowd that's absolutely looking for this. And you would think opening for Keith Richards at a New Year's Eve party, that crowd is not going to necessarily be uh, essentially uh, that that age, that age group. Uh, but man, right. it, you, it wasn't wasn't a fan club show, right? Uh, but you see everybody and you see in the video people are really into this the band is really into this are really energetic and uh again yeah, and this is I, just and like Eberzies is not my favorite drummer we've talked about that i think he a lot of times he hits too hard and he's too showy for a lot of the songs that they were doing but for Speedwash, when he starts like slamming on that snare drum and like that intro it's it's so cool like yeah one of his best performances i think All right, that about wraps things up for today's episode. I hope everybody has a happy and healthy Thanksgiving and spends a lot of time with family. And if you liked everything that you heard today, remember it's all available on patreon.com slash live on four legs. Head over there, contribute to the show, donate, and you will get these episodes, monthly episodes, sometimes weekly content over on our Patreon account. So head on over, become a patron. Not only that, well, you get to choose your show show that we get to cover on our show and that's a really really cool feature that we offer so uh we definitely have a lot more going on on patreon so check it out over there and uh coming soon like you just heard the wash episode i would say within the next two weeks uh you know give the holiday give or take but it's coming soon so head on over to patreon.com if you liked and want to listen to more full episodes of what you just heard today We will be back next week, and what we're going to be doing next week is we're going to be covering Seattle uh, 93, December 8th. And if that date rings a bell to you, it's because that is going to be the newest Vault release that should be coming out sometime very soon, uh, at least being shipped. It's on pre-order if you haven't pre-ordered it from the website. So uh, what we decided we were going to do was, was sort of prep people for you know around the time that they got the the vinyl and and sort of give them a little bit of uh what to expect when you get it so uh that was it was fun to break down it was a good show and uh we'll have that and really there's not going to be a lot more for the rest of the year the week after that we are going to be doing our final msg episode with uh some surprises in store for that and then Our last episode of 2019, last year, do you remember, we did a wish list, set list, uh, not necessarily a draft, but Matt and I sat there and went through and picked the best set list that we possibly could, and we're gonna do a little bit differently this year. We're gonna do a set list draft, uh, where it's hopefully gonna be the four of us, if not three of us, and we're gonna go through and we're gonna draft our personal set list and there are going to be a lot of rules involved and things like that so if you have ever tried to draft or put together your own set list it's a fun little experiment we uh you know i tried it with a couple of our patrons and there was some really fun uh fun things that we got to discover with uh building our sets and and there are challenges when you're taking very good songs early on and have to save songs for later so uh it's going to be fun 
So we'll see how that all transpires. And not only that, but uh, the end of the year, which is really the beginning of 2020, where you're going to do our uh, best shows of the decade that are available to vote on now. Uh, Next Sunday, this coming Sunday, uh, we will have our 2016 poll. Then we will have our 2018 poll the following Thursday. And then after that, we'll go a full week and we'll have our top 25 that you'll be able to vote on. So right now, uh, during Thanksgiving, we just did 2015. That poll is pretty much done with. uh, But check back on Sunday on our social media pages and you'll be able to vote for 2016. There's a lot of great shows. There are both park shows there are full album shows so excited to kind of see what comes from that so uh we will again on january 1st that'll be our show show of the decade uh episode and we'll kind of whittle the 25 down to a top 10 so and after that it's 2020 and uh i won't ruin any surprises that we have in store but there are going to be lots of them so uh hang tight and if you're a fan of this show i'm sure you're going to enjoy what we have in store coming for you in the future so that's all for now hopefully all of you enjoy a very very wonderful thanksgiving and a good holiday don't go too crazy on black friday but make sure you do go out and get yourself the unplugged vinyl. It's it's a must-have. I'm going to go get it. So if I'm going to get it, then I think you should get it as well. It's a, a freaking classic show. So go out, support your local record stores, and go buy the unplugged vinyl that's coming out on Friday. So without further ado, that is the end of this little mini episode and clip show so i miss you already i miss you always we'll be back next week with seattle december 8th 1993 which is going to be vault number nine coming out very soon so we will see you then the cranberry sauce we're having mashed potatoes oh the turkey looks great thank you for loving me glenn thank you for being there please Thank you for loving me. Oh, God. Everyone's thanking. The whole Lynn. world's thanking you. Stop. Thanking Lynn, stop. us for thanking you. Glenn. Kill the turkey. Glenn. Pass oh, no. the cranberry sauce. We're having mashed potatoes. Ooh, the turkey looks great. Thank you for loving me. Glenn. Thank you for being there. Please. Thank you for loving me. Everyone's thanking. The whole Glenn. world's thanking you, thanking Stop. us for thanking you. Kill the turkey.